Thank you, and once again, good day to students and teachers of the Word of God. We are rapidly approaching the end of our series of studies on the Theological Seminar of the Air. And let me say, for those of you who have tuned in late, maybe at broadcast number 40, 50, or 60, if you would like to hear the series of lessons over again, they stretch back through the last two years to the tune of 104 lessons. We are on lesson 99 out of 104, that is a solid 104 weeks of 30-minute lessons on the subjects of theology, the great doctrine of the Word of God. These have been doctrinal studies because the Bible is written, first of all, not to help you get saved or teach you how to live, but was written primarily for doctrine. Second Timothy chapter 3.16, all Scripture is given inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine first, then reproof, correction, instruction, and so forth and so on. So these have been doctrinal studies in the Word of God, running now to 99 lessons. And if some of you are interested in getting this material over again, the series may be rebroadcast, beginning back with lesson number one, which now is almost two years in the past, which began with our initial fundamental primary lessons on the existence of God, the person of God, the Trinity, and things that had to do with theology proper. We now, after this uh, broadcast today, have only ahead of us five broadcasts, completing the series of 104 broadcasts, which have covered every major doctrine in the Word of God. I realize many of our listeners may not have tuned in until the 40th, 50th, 60th, 70th, or 80th broadcast. There may be listeners to our broadcast today who have not been aware of the program until the 90th broadcast, in which case you have missed 89 broadcasts that deal with Christology, Soteriology, Ecclesiology, Eschatology, uh, Angelology, uh, and Anthropology, and other important theological subjects. In our lesson today, we are talking about the seven judgments of God found in the Bible. Now, when we talk about the judgments of God, we understand, of course, they are lesser judgments that have fallen upon individuals, nations, or groups of nations at various times. But there are seven major judgments in the Word of God. And we say major judgments. These judgments are of such a momentous nature that they fall in a classification by themselves. We realize God judged the world the days of Noah and drowned them out with a flood. God judged the world in the days of the Tower of Babylon and scattered them abroad. We realize, of course, in past history that God has judged the Jewish nation under Nebuchadnezzar and Sennacherib and brought judgment on the Sodom and Gomorrah and like judgments. The judgments of the Lord are altogether right. They're perfect and proper. God knows what he's doing even when we don't think that he does. But there are seven main judgments that uh, are going to fall, and these seven main judgments will be listed in today's lesson, and these seven main judgments are in a class by themselves. Uh, they go beyond the major judgment that fell upon Adam when he first fell, and they go beyond the judgments that God brought upon Lot for his sin and individuals for the sin. These seven judgments have a universal nature. The first of these is the judgment that fell at Calvary. The second is the daily self-judgment of the Christian. The third is the judgment seat of Christ. The fourth is the judgment of the Jewish nations. The fifth is the judgment of the nations. The sixth is the judgment of fallen angels. And the seventh is the judgment of the unsaved dead. Now, these are the seven major judgments of the Word of God. We'll go into these in detail in just a few minutes now, but suffice it to say that the average unsaved preacher in America only knows of one judgment. The way you spot an unsaved preacher is by how he handles the Word of God. 
Because the natural man receiveth not the thing of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, for they're foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they're spiritually discerned. <clears throat> There's a magazine being put out by the Review and Herald Publishing Company out of Washington, D.C., for ministers that says that dispensationalism is a fad and a non-biblical heresy. The people who put out that magazine make a distinction between the Old and the New Testaments. That is, they admit there are two dispensations. How they would think dispensationalism was a heresy when they made the difference between the two of themselves is beyond finding out. That isn't all. Anybody who read the Bible would know that Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is in a different dispensation than the one you're in now. A man that doesn't believe that is a religious liberal. So these people that talk about dispensationalism have to admit to three dispensations before they ever start. But it goes far beyond that. These people who put out this magazine for ministers, so-called, are trying to teach their no dispensations, and yet they're trying to teach their constituents to keep the Mosaic law on the Sabbath. Now, that's very interesting. Abraham didn't keep it. And Isaac didn't keep it. And Jacob didn't keep it. And Noah didn't keep it. And Adam didn't keep it, and Enoch didn't keep it. Now, who are these people who talk about the heresy of dispensationalism when they made one division between the fall of Adam and the law, another division between the law and Christ, and have to admit to a third division in Revelation 20 after the white throne judgment is over? Moral, you can't be a student of the Word of God without being a dispensationalist. If you're not teaching the different divisions in God's Word where God has dealt with people different ways at different times, you're teaching heresy. Now, we're not going to burn you at the stake. I mean, when we say heresy, all these little thin-skinned girl scouts get upset and begin to shriek and holler about intolerance, you know, their bad conscience killing them. I wouldn't bother. I wouldn't go out of my way to step on a, on a fire ant. I've been known to let a cockroach go across the room because it's too far away to throw a shoe at. We're not going to worry about false teachers, but we're going to tell the truth. The truth is there is more than one judgment. There are seven of them. You say, well, according to your opinion, no, according to what you're about to read. Get your Bible open up. Let's start, shall we? Number one, the judgment at Calvary. The subject, Christ bearing your sins. The time, 33 A.D. The place, Calvary. The basis, the law, the result was the physical death of Christ. The judgment of God fell on Jesus Christ at Calvary to pay for your sins. John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. See also Hebrews 2.9. Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness, so at Calvary, God pulled down the curtain of darkness, and his wrath fell upon the helpless back of a sinless Savior. Romans 6.23 said, The wage of sin is death. Christ never sinned, but he died. Why did he die? Judgment poured out on him against sin. Sin was judged by the perfect law. The result was the physical death of Jesus Christ, justification for the believer, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. 
The first great judgment was the judgment of God against sin on Calvary, where Jesus Christ became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Bible says Christ suffered the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastity of our peace is upon him, and with his stripes were healed. Christ dies for the ungodly, and the judgment of God falls upon Jesus Christ instead of falling upon you. Now, what does this mean? This means when you take Christ your Savior, you are standing in a burned-out spot where the lightning has already struck, and he will not strike twice in the same place. You say people are always worry about losing your salvation. You're wasting your time and God's time and my time. Back in the old day, when a man was going across the prairies and a prairie fire was sweeping across there with 30-mile-an-hour winds in dry grass three and sometimes six feet high, do you think that old prairie dog wasted time to beat his horse to death to try to outrun that prairie fire? Why, of course not. He got off his horse and struck tinder and flint, and backfired the grass, set fire to the grass ahead of him. And as the wind blew that, blew that prairie fire out ahead of him, he simply took his horse and stepped into the place where it had already been burned out. And when the prairie fire behind him caught up with him, do you think it could burn him? Why, it couldn't singe your hair in his head. The place had already been burnt. Do you hear what I'm saying? I said the place had already been burnt. The Passover lamb was roasted in fire. And said, I thirst, and you weren't to base it with water. Now, do you understand what I'm saying? Judgment can't fall, fall twice. You can't try a man twice for the same offense. That's double jeopardy. If you come to Calvary, you're safe. The wrath has already fallen. If you want to go to heaven, trust Christ. If you want to go to hell, trust something else. One thing is good as another. Somebody says, well, if you need to tell me of my sins, all the past have been paid for. What about my sins in the future? Well, you need to shut up for a while and listen to us talk. Always trying to get the cart ahead of the horse, huh? The first judgment is a judgment on sin. The next judgment is the judgment of the Son. Subject, the saint himself. Time, any time, every day. Place, anywhere. Basis, sonship. Results, forgiveness and cleansing. The second judgment is daily self-judgment. Paul says, let a man examine himself. David said in Psalm 26, 1 and 2, Judge me, O Lord, examine me, Lord, prove me, try my reins. Paul said, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Self-judgment of the believer. Anytime. Particularly for going to bed at night. Any place. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God deal with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Now let's get our bearings clear. Judgment number one determines whether you go to heaven or hell. Judgment number two depends upon whether you stay in fellowship with the Lord and get chastened or whether you don't. Is that clear? There isn't a Campbellite listening to my voice that understands what I just said. Because he knows nothing about sonship. A son can never be unborn again out of the family. 
a son can get out of fellowship, he can be whipped, he can be rebuked, he can be chastened, and he can die. But he can't get out of the family. He is born of the family seed. All right, let's get it clear. Government number one, you want to go to heaven? Trust Christ. You want to go to hell? Trust something else. Trust religion, trust the sacraments, trust your interpretation of the Bible, uh, trust the educators. One, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. One way is just good as another. You want to go to heaven? Trust Jesus Christ. You want to go to hell? Trust something else. Take your pick. It's a free country. Number two, second judgment. You want to stay in fellowship with the Lord? Confess your sins and judge them. You want to avoid chastening as a son? Confess your sins and judge them. You go to heaven or hell in the first judgment. You live a happy or a miserable Christian life on the second judgment. Don't ever get them confused. Study to show by yourself approved unto God, a work and yet not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The self-judgment of the believer gives him forgiveness and cleansing. John said if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You want to go to heaven? You can't get to heaven by confessing your sins. That's the wrong judgment. You want to get to heaven? Trust Jesus Christ. You want to go to hell? Trust something else. You want to stay in fellowship with the Lord? Confess your sins. You want to get out of fellowship with the Lord? Don't confess them. <clears throat> My, isn't the Bible a plain book when you're saved and believe it? Judgment number three, the judgment seat of Christ. Subject, the saints being judged for their works. Time at the second advent of Christ. Place in the air, 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Basis, the believer's works. Results, rewards and crowns for the faithful, 1 Corinthians 3.14. Loss to others, 1 Corinthians 3.15. Isn't that clear? The Bible says you're not saved by works, you're not kept by works, you're not regenerated by works, you don't get to heaven by works. But the works that you commit after you are saved, you will be judged for. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 makes it perfectly apparent that every believer shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ and receive in the body for the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad. We say people who are saved by grace through faith don't work to get saved. We don't work to stay saved. We work because we are saved, and someday we will be judged by our works. Where? At the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 Romans chapter 14, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. An unsaved man, or the man who wrote the Thompson Chain Reference Bible, will confuse the judgment seat of Christ with the white throne judgment every time. We call these people who stumble at the Word of God amillennial general judgment preachers. That is, they can't see the difference in Scripture. They're always trying to join together what God put asunder and make things that are alike, uh, make things that differ alike. At the judgment seat of Christ, there are no books. There are at the white throne judgment. At the judgment seat of Christ, there are no unsaved dead. There are at the white throne judgment. In the judgment seat of Christ, the events take place before the reign of Christ in this earth. At the white throne judgment, they take place after the events in this earth. At the judgment seat of Christ, nobody goes into the lake of fire. At the white throne judgment, somebody does. Therefore, to say they are uh, the same is mental sickness or to be more charitable about it, theological insanity. They are not the same because the words aren't the same. 
The place isn't the same, the time isn't the same, the subjects aren't the same, and the results aren't the same. Therefore, to say they are the same is madness. It's trying like to say that men are equal with women in the ERA when no woman in the ERA has her own name. Isn't that the wildest thing you ever saw? This mental sickness that swept across the news media? You talk about a, you talk about a credibility gap. Who today could read a newspaper and think the fellow who wrote it was sane? The idea of talking about equal rights for men and women, why a woman doesn't even have a name. Don't you know that? You think the people or the women who are pushing equal rights have names? Of course they don't. If they're unmarried, their last name is their father's name. And if they're married, their last name is their husband's name. Equal. My, 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 my. Imagine that. And imagine some of you dumb thumps reading that stuff just like you thought you had good sense and thinking something was going on. Why, what is going on? You're dealing with a bunch of people who are mentally unbalanced. A woman doesn't even have a right to her own last name. Didn't you know that? Not even the women that are pushing the movement. It's a strange world, isn't it? Now, when two things are different, they're not the same. Black is not white. Do you know how you know that? By looking at a newspaper. If the print was in white, you couldn't read it. You see what I mean, Jelly Bean? The judgment seat of Christ has never been the white throne judgment and will never be the white throne judgment. The judgment seat of Christ doesn't determine whether a man goes to heaven or hell or not. It determines whether a man gets rewards or loses reward for his service for Jesus Christ after he was saved. Three judgments. Judgment number one, the wrath of God that fell on Christ at Calvary, the judgment against sin. Judgment number two, the chastening of God that falls on a child of God when he doesn't confess his sins, the judgment of a son. Number three, the judgment that has to do with service, the judgment that falls on a disobedient child of God at the judgment seat of Christ for not living and working for Christ after he was saved. Now, do we understand each other? You can't be saved by working. That's the third judgment. You can't be saved by confessing your sins. That's the second judgment. You're saved by trusting Christ. That's the first judgment. If you want to go to heaven, trust Christ. If you want to go to hell, confess your sins and do good works. You see how it goes? All you have to do is confuse those judgments, and you're just good in hell with the door shut. God has spoken clearly and showed you plenty. Those three judgments are not the same. The first is God's judgment on sin at Calvary, which if you want to go to heaven, you must trust. The second judgment is God's chastening of a disobedient child who doesn't confess his sins, who must confess if he wants to stay in fellowship with the Lord. The third judgment is God's judgment on the Christian who doesn't serve Christ after he's saved. They're never the same. They're not even related. The first judgment determines whether or not you go to heaven or hell. The second judgment determines whether or not you live a happy Christian life or not. And the third judgment determines whether you get rewards or not. Things that are different are not equal. We come now to the fourth judgment. This will be a judgment upon the nation of Israel in the Great Tribulation. The subject of the Jewish nation, Ezekiel 20, verse 34 to 38. 
The time is during the great tribulation, which Jeremiah calls the time of Jacob's trouble. The place will be Palestine and Jerusalem. Jeremiah 33, 7. The basis will be the rejection of Christ, 1 Samuel 8, 7, Luke 23, 18. And the results will be the conversion of the nation of Israel to accepting Jesus Christ as their Messiah. See especially Isaiah 66, 8 and Jeremiah 30, verse 7. This is the new covenant that God will put up with the house of Israel and Judah in Hebrews chapter 8. We're ready now for the fifth judgment, the judgment of the nations. The subject will be the Gentile nations. The time will be at the second coming of Christ. The place will be the valley of Jehoshaphat. The basis will be the treatment of the Jews. The results will be the punishment of some of the nations and the blessing of others. The Gentile nations will be gathered before Christ as a shepherd gathers his sheep. Matthew 25, 32. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the angels with him, he shall sit upon the throne of his glory. Matthew 25, 31. He will gather all nations, Joel 3, 2, and bring them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And the basis will be how they treated Israel in the great tribulation. He says to them, Inasmuch as you've done it unto one of these, the least of my brethren, you've done it to me. Matthew 25, verse 40. The results are the damnation of the people who mistreated the Jews, Matthew 25, 41, the salvation of the people who blessed the Jews and took care of them, Matthew 25, 34. On the one hand, we read, Depart from me, you curse and everlasting fire, prepared the devil as angels. But for those who took care of the Jews, we read, Come, you blessed my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So this judgment is a nation of Israel. This is judgment number five. This should never be confused with a judgment on the sin at Calvary, judgment number one, the daily self-judgment of the Christian, judgment number two, the judgment seat of Christ, judgment number three, or the judgment of the Jews, judgment number four. We come now to judgment number six. This judgment is the judgment of fallen angels. The subject of the fallen angel, the time is the great white throne judgment, the place is an outer space. We read about these things in Corinthians, where we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, Know ye not that we shall judge angels. We read the angels which kept not their first estate, God le and left their own habitation, God reserved an everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. They're reserved to the white throne judgment, and 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them to chains of darkness, to be reserved under judgment, he won't spare those that reject Jesus Christ. Four angels will be judged at the white throne judgment, and strangely enough, they will be judged by you people listening to this broadcast if you're saved. What? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? These are angels that followed Satan in Ezekiel 28, 12-19, in Isaiah 14, 12-17, and Revelation chapter 12, verse 4. Finally, we come to the last judgment. There is a judgment of uh, unsaved people in Revelation chapter 20, and this is the judgment given against the unsaved people who rejected Christ and died alone in the world without hope and without God. This is sometimes called the general resurrection, the general judgment of the unsaved dead, and it is the one judgment that unsaved preachers profess to believe in if they profess to believe in any judgment at all. Amillennial and postmillennial preachers all believe in a general resurrection, a general judgment. What do they mean by that? They mean they've rejected the judgment at Calvary as being conclusive and are waiting to find out whether they're saved or lost later. They have rejected the daily judgment of the child of God as having to do with fellowship and considered it to be a test of whether or not the person is saved. They have rejected the judgment seat of Christ and altered the word judgment seat of Christ 
to the judgment seat of God in all the new translations to try to make you think the judgment seat of Christ was the same as the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. Now, these unsaved post-millennial and amillennial preachers are all looking forward to a time when they hope they're going to find out whether or not they're saved or not. And they trust at the last resurrection they'll all come up and have their good works in one hand, their bad works in the other, and they trust their good works will outweigh their bad works and they'll get to heaven. They also think that their bad works outweigh their good works to go to hell, and I suppose if they come out even, they'll wind up in purgatory or someplace. And these unsaved people, in order to pervert the Word of God and make it teach something it does not teach, have taken Romans chapter 14, verse 10, and altered the words, Judgment Seat of Christ, which we have discussed, Judgment number 3, and made it read, Judgment Seat of God, to make you think it was the white throne judgment. Now, we say this because the King James Bible is the only Bible you can buy in America that tells the truth in Romans 14.10. Every other translation of the market recommended by every premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, soul-winning, conservative, evangelical, liberal, communist, atheist, agnostic, Catholic, or conservative evangelist has altered Romans 14.10 so you would miss the truth that the judgment seat of Christ is for Christians only and it's made it the judgment seat of God. Now, this final resurrection is not for the child of God because he has been reigning on the earth a thousand years with Jesus Christ before the judgment ever shows up. Revelation 20, verse 1 to 12. This judgment takes place after the millennial reign of Christ, Revelation 20, verse 5, and at this time every Christian has been just like Jesus Christ for more than a thousand years. The subject are the unsaved dead. The time is after the thousand-year reign of Christ. The place is at the great white throne. The basis is whether or not names are recorded in the book of life. Revelation 20, verse 12 says, The books were opened, another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were in the books according to their works. Whosoever not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The great white throne judgment is personal. It is a final judgment. It is not a trial to discover whether the person is guilty or not. It is a pronouncement of judgment by the Lord God Almighty on the ungodly and doomed and unsaved dead. And there's a tremendous difference between the last resurrection of the unsaved dead and any other judgment we've discussed. You'll notice in Matthew 25, individuals are not being judged. The nations are being judged. In Matthew 25, there are no books present. In Revelation 20, there are. In Matthew 25, the criteria is treatment of the Jews. In Revelation 20, the criteria is the name being in the book of life. It goes much beyond this. In Matthew 25, the judgment is on earth. In Revelation 20, the judgment is in heaven. In Matthew 25, the Lord is about to set up an earthly kingdom. And in Revelation chapter 20, the heavens and earth have melted and passed away with a fervent heat. At the white throne judgment, there are witnesses. There's a prosecuting attorney, the devil. The questions are asked by God, and the culprit is allowed to cross-examine God, but quite naturally, Romans chapter 3, he can only only, uh, be unable to answer the questions put to him by God. He will be unable to ask God one question that God can't answer. If you'll study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find every time Jesus Christ was asked a question, he had an answer ready, and when he asked questions back, his audience could not answer them. 
This will be the condition of the unsaved sinner, the unregenerate, Christ-rejecting, hell-bound sinner, and he stand before God and is presented with his life from start to finish, three-dimensional, full-color, stereo, tweeter-woofer, high-fidelity sound, and is demanded to give account of himself to God and answer the great and burning question, why did he trust his own righteousness to get him saved when God's righteousness was freely available as a gift? There is no way to answer this question. And the man who fails to answer it has his home in a lake of fire. May God forbid that should be your eternal destiny. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved.